0: seven words to the church today as we go through some of the first uh, few chapters in the book of Revelation. Um, We're going to be going through the first three chapters of this book uh, right up until term three. So this will carry us through for uh, quite a long time now, uh, and we're not going to be having a a break as we go along. We are in our second week of this series. We had Simon Ward joining us last week from Compassion, uh, but the week before that we began our journey going through these first few chapters by beginning in Revelation 1. You can see that message online if you would like to catch up. And we went through that whole first chapter to be able to give us a really good grounding and a really good understanding about what this book of Revelation is all about. Because ultimately, although many of us may have preconceived ideas about what Revelation is about, the first chapter really anchors us and, uh and Uh, draws a, a foundation for us about what the book is all about, because the book of Revelation is about the risen, victorious King Jesus. That is our foundation for this book, and that is where we launch from throughout the rest of this series. The rest of this series is going to be looking at uh, seven different words or seven different messages that were given to seven different churches um, as a vision uh, from Jesus to the author, who is a guy called John. And the first church that there is a word for throughout this uh, throughout this book is the church in Ephesus. So that is who we're going to be looking at, the church in Ephesus. Now, this may not mean a whole heap to you, but I love looking at the church in Ephesus. There are so many things that we can learn for ourselves that are convicting and also encouraging as we look at how God worked through this church and the message that God had uh, that Jesus had for this church through the vision that he gave to John. Uh, Now, even though we're going to be looking at uh, Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, we're going to spend quite a bit of time uh, at the beginning this morning, not in the book of Revelation, but instead we're going to uh, take more of a bird's eye view to understand the church in Ephesus, and we're going to be looking at Acts 18, verses 18 to 21, and then also a lot of um, Acts 19 as well. So if you have a Bible there, it is going to be on the screen, Uh, just turn to Acts 18, we're going to read from 18 to 21, Um, but we're also going to head later on to Revelation 2, verses 1 to 7. So keep both of those things open, and this will help give us a bit of grounding before we get into, uh, into this. In Acts 18, verses 18 to 21, we see the birth of the church in Ephesus. We see how God was first at work in this group of people, in this really significant city. And it says this, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria. Accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. This is a married couple who he is journeying with. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Cancray because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch so here in these first few verses I'm just going to do a quick overview of what we've just read and what comes straight after this what we see is that Paul um, journeys from Corinth to Ephesus with a married couple who is called Priscilla and Aquila they head to Ephesus and it is at this point that we see the uh, the birth of this young fledgling church Paul stayed on for just a really short amount of time we're not really sure how long it was but he only stayed in Ephesus for a short amount of time trying to get this church uh, off the ground. Eventually he heads uh, away from Ephesus and he says that he may come back if God allows him to in the future. So here at this point we have Priscilla and Aquila with this very young church. A few verses later after what we've just read, we see another key player come into the mix whose name is Apollos. And this guy, Apollos, he is quite young in his faith, but he is a very gifted communicator. And so Priscilla and Aquila take Apollos under their wing and they begin to teach him and mentor him and, uh, and help him understand some more, uh, some more of the ways of, of Jesus. Uh, Apollos eventually becomes almost like the front man of this church in Ephesus, Uh, but at the end of Acts 18, we see Apollos uh, have a real sense from from God that he is being called away from Ephesus and being called to Corinth. So uh, at the end of Acts 18, we're feeling a, a little bit Um, confused about what God is doing here uh, in the church in Ephesus because it doesn't really feel like it's getting any momentum. The main front man, Apollos, the main communicator, has now left and gone to Corinth. And so Priscilla and Aquila are left there on their own. But then in Acts 19, we begin to see the church in Ephesus really begin to make some ground. In Acts 19, we begin to see some really amazing things happen as the church begins to take off. Because in Acts 19, we see Paul come back to the church in Ephesus and begin to do some ministry to the church there. He spends a a far more significant amount of time uh, in this round uh, in Ephesus. He spends three months in one area in Ephesus, and then he spends a further two years uh, doing ministry throughout this place. In Acts 19, verse 10, we see this. uh, This went on for two years. So that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So... Paul has been doing ministry with the church here for three months initially in one place, then two years um, in another area of Ephesus. But the thing that we can't skip over as we begin to read what happens here is these words. All the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So that means every single person in this area Every single person heard the gospel of Jesus. That's a massive deal. How many people heard that? That is like this, not this church, but probably one of our life groups going and sharing the gospel with every single person in Bracken Ridge and the surrounding area. So think Bracken Ridge, Bald Hills, Fitzgibbon, Brighton, Degan, whatever else we count as the surrounding area. But this is the impact that this church had in a very short amount of time. This is how seriously they took sharing the message of Jesus, that they shared it with every single person in that area. That's a massive deal about how, um, how seriously they took the gospel. Um, this church, uh, sorry, this city, it was one of the most significant places uh, in the world during that time. It was the primary centre for trade and it was actually one of the largest cities of the time. And to, sow, uh, to, to share the gospel with this entire city is a really big deal. And I find this personally uh, immensely convicting I see what the church achieved here and how seriously they took Jesus' message. And this is something that... I myself, when I see their passion for Jesus, that I want to emulate and, uh, and all of us should want to be more like. There's something encouraging that we see through the church in Ephesus during this time. And at the same time as them going and sharing the gospel with such a large group of people, we also see God working in power in their midst. There are people getting freed and healed. God is just doing a real miraculous work in their church. Um, One of the significant things that we see throughout Acts 19 a little bit later on is uh, in Ephesus, there was a a strong presence of sorcery and witchcraft um, throughout many people, um, throughout a lot of the community there. And a lot of the people who were, Uh, who were coming to Jesus and coming uh, coming into relationship with him, becoming part of the church, a lot of these people had been practicing sorcery and witchcraft. And what we see later on in Acts 19, a huge amount of these people coming and burning their scrolls. This may not sound like a big deal for us. We see that in verse 19. We may not see this as a big deal for us, but these scrolls that they were burning were some of the most valuable things that you could possibly own. The uh, equivalent of what they were burning was the equivalent of 137 years of wages. Or, another different equivalent, $12.3 million worth of scrolls was what they came to burn because they took the message of Jesus so seriously. They wanted to reject the things that had previously been in their life that weren't of Jesus, and they, they burned their most valuable possessions They didn't sell them, they didn't trade them, they burnt them. That is how serious they were about the gospel, about the message of Jesus. They were willing to burn what was by far the most valuable thing that they would have had in their position because those things were not uh, honouring to Jesus. So these people this church that began in Acts 18 um, and had a bit of a slow start, suddenly as Paul comes back and starts doing ministry, God begins to be at work in this church. There are people getting healed and freed. There are people turning away from the things in their life. They are going on the move and sharing the gospel with a huge number of people. We just see God at work mightily through Acts 19 in the church of Ephesus. These people were really serious about their relationship with uh, with Jesus. Later on in the chapter... In Acts 19, we continue to see God at work uh, in that church Um, because we see the way that the... That so many people coming to Jesus, we see the effects that that had on the rest of Jesus. Later on in Acts 19, we see that so many people were coming to Jesus that the people who were selling idols in Ephesus, that was quite a big trade that happened in the city of Ephesus. We see that those people began to start a riot because they were going out of business This important trade of of idol worship and selling idols, it was going out of business because so many people came to Jesus. (laughs) Effectively, so many people were coming to Jesus that the culture and the economy and the trade of the city (laughs) was changed. That is just mind blowing that God was just doing such a mighty work through this church here. Um, as I was preparing this message, I was preparing this on the, uh, on the Friday before, um, a little over a week ago, on the Friday before the um, election, and it just made me reflect as I was preparing this that um, irrelevant of who, this is a bit of a side note, but stay with me, uh, irrelevant of who comes into government at any stage irrelevant of who the ruling authorities are, the real way that God is able to work in power through his church is not by us getting the right people in uh, in positions of power, although that sort of stuff is important. The real way that God wants to work through his church is by working revival through his people. He wants to see more and more and more people come to Jesus. And the way that that happened through this church, they saw so many people coming to Jesus, that culture was shifted, economy was shifted, trade was shifted. And it wasn't because they had the right people in in power or anything like that. It was because they were serious about sharing the gospel with people and seeing more people come into a saving knowledge of Jesus. Powerful work that God was doing because his people were faithful to him. Seeing people healed and freed and waves of people coming into the church. And this was the start of the church in Ephesus. How good. What a start to a church. God just being working in incredible ways. But what we see through the New Testament is that things didn't stay this way. Things didn't stay the same in the church in Ephesus throughout their their whole existence. Um, Acts 19, what we see uh, through the the birth of this church, it was written in about 55 AD. And the passage that we're going to be looking at really soon in Revelation, that was written in 96 AD. So there's about a 40-year gap between the birth of the church and And the word of the church that comes through the book of Revelation. And throughout these 40 years, we begin to see things change a little bit in the uh, the Ephesian church. The book of Ephesians was written to the Ephesian church because they were were experiencing disunity amongst themselves. They were having a bit of an identity crisis uh, about who they were. Um, so right there, Paul needs to write a, a warning letter to the church in Ephesus to be able to um, get them back on the on the right track. Later on, the books, uh, the letters to Timothy are written to the church in Ephesus as well. Um, Timothy, he was an elder in the church in Ephesus, um, and these uh, these couple of Uh, Letters that were written to Timothy were particularly based around addressing false teaching that was coming into the church. Some earlier books that were written by John before the book of Revelation, some of the letters from, uh, from John, are also written to the context of the church in Ephesus, addressing disunity in the church. And so we begin to see, even outside of the book of Revelation, there are just these Niggling patterns that start to emerge that things don't stay like they used to be. Things begin to change, they begin to decline little by little. It's not a stark negative, abrupt change that seems to happen within the church there. There are just little things that seem to slip in as they are uh, are going along their way. And then eventually, 40 years after what we've just read in Acts 19, then we come to a letter that was written to this church in Ephesus, and which is where we pick up in Revelation 2, Jesus has a word for this church in Ephesus 40 years later after they were first birthed. And in Revelation 2 verses 1 to 7, it says, "'To the angel of the church in Ephesus writes, "'These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand "'and walks among the seven golden lampstands. "'I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance.'" I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and you have not grown weary. I'm just going to pause right there, because what we see here in these first few verses in Revelation 2 is that the church in Ephesus are still doing great things. They have uh, turned away from wicked people. They have persevered under hardship and persecution. They have Uh, continue to endure hardships for the name of Jesus, there is still wonderful things, particularly on the outside, that you would be able to say, the church in Ephesus is still doing great. But then the language shifts here, after what we have just read, because it says, even though these wonderful things have happened, even though you're achieving these great things, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do, you, do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Just... Um, for a bit of context there, what is being spoken about there with the practices of the Nicolaitans were idolatry and sexual immorality. Verse seven, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. I find this letter, this word from Jesus, Um, that is given to John to write down and send to the church in Ephesus, I find this a really convicting word because this church is essentially being told, although you are doing wonderful things for Jesus, although you are achieving on the outside what seems like great things for the kingdom of God, you've forgotten the main point, which is to love God You've begun doing things out of your own strength and have neglected the greatest commandments, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The big message to the church in Ephesus is that they had an external service that looked right and they did the right things, but there was no internal heart for God anymore. Something had shifted in who they were over the 40 years from one point to another, and although they continued to do the right things on the outside, their hearts had changed. Now, although there is this rebuke that happens here in this passage, we have to also um, remember and acknowledge the good things that are being said to the church here. From verses 1 to 3, we see that um, they are being commended Jesus is commending the church here, telling them that you have persevered through difficulty. You haven't gotten weary and you have served God well. So at no stage is Jesus telling the church to stop doing the external service. That is something that they should continue to do. they have been commended for doing this. And this is clearly something that the, uh, that the church in Ephesus has continued to do throughout their entire existence. Throughout the whole 40 years they've existed, they have been serving God well. And God doesn't tell them to stop serving in order to get their hearts right. He tells them to keep serving and get your heart right. Sometimes I've had um, some uh, people um, come up to me and uh, um, and I appreciate the, the heart behind this, this statement, but um, there have been times I've had people come up to me and, uh, and say something to the effect of, uh, it's important for me at the moment, I need to spend some time not serving um, in order to get my heart right with God. <laughs> um, I appreciate the heart behind that um, However, what we see here in this passage is at no stage does Jesus tell the church here to stop serving and to stop um, honoring God through their actions. Rather, he says, as you do that, get your heart right with God. Begin to love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. This is the greatest commandment that we have been given, which is to love God. And in this church, it doesn't exist anymore. The church in Ephesus, in modern day terms, they would have had uh, what we would see as all the right metrics. Their attendance would have been amazing. They would have been seeing baptisms weekly, they were training up leaders like Apollos and sending them out to do ministry all around the world. There were miracles happening. They shifted the culture of the city and the surrounding area. There were stories every single week that they could have told their church, celebrating the work that God was doing, and yet something in their hearts had grown cold. The external markers of health were all there, and they've begun ignoring the most important command, which is to love God. Disconnecting external service for God from an internal heart for God is such a serious offense to God, as we see here um, in what we've just read, that Jesus threatens to shut the church down. In second half of verse 5, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. Jesus is willing to take away this church if they don't get their hearts in order. And I think this can be quite an easy trap for many of us to fall into. Quite an easy place for us to drift towards little by little. That we will continue to serve God, that we will continue to honour Him through our actions but something changes within our heart and we don't love God like we used to anymore. We don't have the same heart, affection and joy when we come into the presence of God like we did anymore. Now, I understand love for God, it does shift over time and the way that you love God does look different over time. And yet there needs to be something in your heart different Deep within you that you were able to say I love you God I want to honour you through my actions but I want to honour you first in my heart a deep heart love for God is the single greatest commandment above all other things we can do all of the right things externally we can serve in the right ministries, we can come to church every single week, we can tithe and worship, but if there isn't something really in our hearts, there is something, something wrong. So how do we make this happen? How do we change our hearts um, to honour God through what is happening within us? There's a couple of different things I just want to, um, I just want to say to us before we close out our time together. I think there's two ways that this is able to um, apply to us here today. Firstly, there is a way that this impacts us personally. So some of you here this morning, you might be thinking, yes, that's that's me. I don't have the same love for God that I once had. Or you might be thinking, yeah, I believe in God, but I don't even know if I've ever had that sort of joy and affection in my heart. Love that you're talking about, Dave, at the moment. And the good thing here is that the passage is so clear about how we are to respond if we have uh, grown cold within our hearts. Because it says really clearly, repent and do the things you did at first. Repent. We may um, have had a previous understanding of repentance as just simply being changing some actions, Um, But repent literally means to change your mind, change your understanding of the things that you have thought before. And then the actions are the things that are going to follow. So change how you think about God. Change how you think about spending time with, with him. And then to help you repent, to help you change your mind... What does it say? Do the things that you did at first. What are the things for you when you first came to Jesus that brought you joy by being in his presence? Was it enjoying God in nature? Was it worshipping him, being with him in his word? Was it praying to him? Was it gathering with God's people? Do these things. Do the things that you did at first to stir your heart for him once again. Change your mind so that you find this love once, uh, once again. For me personally, one of the ways that I, um, uh, that I find this really helpful for myself is by enjoying God in nature. I do love to just go down to the waterfront at different times and they, or spend some time in, in the trees and, uh, and just enjoy God's nature that he's provided for us. Um, there's, uh, there's a book as well that might be able to help you uh, be able to discover certain things if you, um, if you want to uh, understand what this means, a bit more, flesh, uh, a bit more fleshed out. Um, and that book is a book called when I, when I Don't Desire God. It's by a guy called um, John Piper, but I do recommend it if you want to go more deeply into this thing that we've been speaking about this morning. When I Don't Desire God by, uh, by John Piper. Now, as I'm saying all of this, as I'm speaking about repenting and doing the things that you did at first, um, some of you may be having the uh, initial mind response of, Dave, that's all well and good, but you don't know my situation. (laughs) You don't know what I have to deal with on a everyday basis. I don't have time to do that. I have work commitments, family commitments, sport commitments, house commitments friend commitments it's just not possible for me and i think it can be really easy for us all to get so caught up in making excuses based on our life situation that we forget that the single greatest commandment that we have been given is to love god more than everything else love god so that's the first thing for us personally but this book wasn't uh, this letter. Sorry, wasn't written just to um, one person, but it was written to a church, a church that was um, that had done a forty-year journey, and the uh, the church here that is being spoken to has a heart that is being addressed here. Um, There was a heart of the church that had issues, and so we need to think as well, for the heart of our church, are there things that God is wanting to say to us here today? Personally, I've been really encouraged um, over the past little while about how God's been at work in in our church. There's been um, a lot of different things from a lot of different places where Um, where God's really been at work throughout our church. And there are multiple stories about how God has been at work. We want to celebrate that. We want to celebrate the work that has happened through Compassion last week, where 20 kids were sponsored. We want to celebrate over $5,000 being raised for Eagle's Wings. We want to celebrate the way that God is at work in so many different areas in our church. These are good things that are good for us to, to acknowledge. But in the midst of that, it can be easy for us to continue hard and to serve hard um, and become complacent within ourselves, with our heart for God. So amongst God being at work in his people, um, amongst God being at work in all of us here and the, the different things that we see God doing, the thing that we need to remember, always draw ourselves back to, is the most important thing. Love God. Simple truth, but profound truth that we can often wander away from. We can have all of the right things happening in our midst, and yet if we don't keep our hearts fixed on Jesus, then he's not pleased with us. So, um, what we're going to be doing right now, I just invite you to stand where you are. Team, if you want to come on up. Um, we're going to just sing some... Uh, some songs that are centered around just saying, I love you, God. We want to be a church that loves God well in how we serve him. Um, and I'm so blessed to be a part of a church where so many of you really do serve God so well. It's a privilege to to be uh, Um, advancing God's kingdom with many of you and seeing how God is at work in His people and all the different gifts that He has given all of us to be able to serve Him. And yet we don't want to become a people ever who neglect the most important thing that God has commanded us to do, which is to love Him with all of our heart, mind, soul and strength. So we're going to sing right now and just ask God to stir in our hearts afresh once again. Lord, right now as we um, come to you in worship and we sing these words of just loving you, um, Lord, we want to be a, a people who love you individually well. In our everyday lives, we want to always be amazed that you've shown us grace and mercy and kindness. want to be a people who will always just be saying thank you for what you have done for us and in response to what you have done for us we just want to say that we do we love you God so help us to be a people who will do that individually personally but also help us to be a church who will do that corporately Lord, we don't want to be a people who stray away from the most important things that you've called us to do. The most important commandment above all other things, which is to love you, God. So stir in our hearts, stir in your church today, a fresh heart to love you with everything that we have. And Lord, for my brothers and sisters here this morning, if there is anyone who is aware that their heart has grown cold towards you. They no longer have the joy and affection for you that they once had. Please stir in their heart by your spirit. Remind them first and foremost of the great love that you have for every single one of us and help us to respond in a love for you. In Jesus' name, amen.